So how do you weather a recession? And man, I could clickbait this and say three things to do that everyone must do in a recession, or even better, the best clickbait ever, three mistakes everyone make in a recession. Number one. No, no, no. <laughs> three, mis three mistakes made by beautiful young Hollywood actresses who weren't wearing any clothes. And then don't complete the sentence. Right. right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? Three mistakes that beautiful Hollywood naked. Oh, I got to click it. See, what is that? Um, Once more onto the breach, dear friends. Let's fill the wall up with our English dead. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another exciting second hour of the Dismal Sciences. Right? That's a bit of an oxygen. A dismal second hour of the exciting... No, it's not. No. Uh, it is the personal wealth coach, and we are here to talk about the exciting world of finance, uh, how it approaches the world, and how it approaches your personal area. You almost used one of my favorite words. Which one? Oxymoron. Oh, I mean, I love that word. That is it's, really it's, just it's, a fascinating it's a word. word. <laughs> that just is a fantastic word that means exactly what it sounds like it means. <laughs> An oxidated moron. <laughs> so the stock market and the bond market are reacting in advance because people are saying that's a bad idea. Okay. I, there, there's an elephant in the room, though. Um, the, where we started the year with the dollar against the pound and the dollar against the euro, it was a trading in a very narrow range. It wasn't moving up. It wasn't moving down. And it had been for a decade, no major movements up or down. And if you look at the date at which the, everything started falling against the dollar, it's an interesting date. It's in, late in February. February 22nd. Well, that's right in line with when Ukraine got invaded by Russia. And the response from Europe and the damage that the European economy has taken and the Russian economy is very directly related to this massive drop in the valuation of the pound versus the dollar. It's just, it's hand in hand. Then you have this massive single day drop in the value of the pound it felt like it was weighing pounds um against the dollar came because they announced hey now we're going to do tax cuts in the middle of trying to fight inflation and that just means that they're the right hand and the left hand are not working in unison here you've got a lobotomy going on something weird happened where the uk is not acting in unison half of it is going one direction hard and the other half is going the other direction hard. At some point, something's either going to break or they're going to come back together. And that's, that is the open question. It could all break. And there's a lot of people afraid of that. So that, that's really the, the kind of tie this together. How is the European economy being hurt by the Ukrainian invasion? Well, at the beginning of the Ukrainian war, our take on this was clear. Number one, Russia's invading. Number two, um, sanctions against Russia are going to just throttle their economy. And that is happening. Their economy is now in a 
it's not any kind of standard recession. They're in a massive shrinkage in their economy. It's, it's measurable in any way you want to look at. They are not doing well. But it's also affecting Europe because Europe did a lot of business with Russia. They bought timber and they brought lots of raw materials. And the obvious thing is the energy market, oil and gas, mostly, especially in Eastern Europe, near near only source was Russia. And so when you levy sanctions and it's responded trade war style in a real hot war going on, prices have gone up much, much faster in Europe than they have in the United States because they have fewer sources of getting the things that there's not enough of. We have more sources of getting things that there's not enough of, which means our prices are going up, but not as fast as Europe. They have fewer sources to get things that there's not enough of. So when you kind of combine that, we can say what happened to our market has nothing to do with the United States. But really what we're saying is that the bridges between economies have gotten to be extra wide. We really don't want them to get narrower or things get worse. This is all of this going on right now is because the bridges got narrower. Brexit and the invasion of Ukraine caused borders to stop allowing trade to cross. When that happens, it constricts the economy. You have less people buying your stuff and you have fewer places to buy the stuff you need to do whatever it is you're trying to do. So that's kind of the bottom line here. We're looking at one microcosm of a much larger issue and that is the more we open trade with each other, the less expensive it is to do trade, which means the less expensive it is to buy things. The more we close that down, the more expensive it is. That doesn't talk about the ethics of whether or not we should open up our borders or not. That's just a trade fact. When you have more places to trade with, prices go down. When you have less places to trade with, prices go up. And that's what we're seeing. Updating a spreadsheet with interest rate numbers because... Um, I'm a, a nerd. Right. Um, uh, and <laughs> uh, I will second that. So can we have a vote? Yeah. When, when we're looking at, um, data for you guys, we really enjoy this stuff. I know it's weird. I know people think we're weird for doing it, but when the federal reserve meets, we actually read their minutes and we look at what they're deciding and why they're deciding it. So when somebody says, why did they do that? Well, we can look at why they did it. And we've had now three raises in a row of three quarter percent. They are selling U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities and in large quantities on the market. Um, and they're expected to continue to do that. So what does that do when you sell bonds? Well, this is this is one of those hard things for people to get because it feels so weird. Interest rates go up, bond prices go down. What in the world? If you're selling a bond, what you're really saying is somebody else needs to come in here and lend money. Um, and because I don't want to lend money anymore, you're removing yourself from the lending market. If you're a bank and you were offering a mortgage to somebody. I'll give you a 3% mortgage, which sounds fantastic at this point. I'm going to give you a mortgage at 3%. It's going to be amazing. 
And uh, then they say, no, never mind. We're going to get out of the market. Well, what does that do to your interest rate? You got to go shop and you're probably not going to get that interest rate. You're probably going to get a higher one. They're in an essence selling out of the market. When the Federal Reserve is selling into the market, it is also raising interest rates. And that's one of the things that we're tracking when we talked earlier about maybe they've overdone it on the, the long-term end. We've got inverted yield curve. What's going on here? This isn't supposed to look this, this ugly. You're supposed to have shorter terms be short with lower interest rates than longer terms. It's not good for the economy. However, having said all that, what the Federal Reserve is doing by raising interest rates is better than the inflation we would have if they didn't. I know it sounds like we complain about the Federal Reserve when the fact is that we're actually pretty proud of what they're doing. They may not be doing it exactly right, but the only way to know to do it exactly right is either to know the future or have 2020 hindsight to say, oh, they should have done this. Um, Jeremy Siegel has said that they needed to raise rates sooner and maybe they're overdoing it at the long-term rate now that they should have stopped already with the interest rates. But if they would have been able to do it with a lot less raises if they'd started earlier, or if maybe they hadn't, um, maybe they hadn't raised interest rates so much, but done it, say, starting at the end of 2021 instead of maintaining for a long time. And this is what I mean. The academics can come back and quibble about this and it will make the science better for the future. But knowing what they knew when they knew it, they've done a pretty good job. Uh, in inflation's really nasty, but it's nasty everywhere on the planet right now. It wasn't their mistake that caused inflation. People say, well, maybe it was the stimulus packages. There's so much cash, except that people aren't spending the cash at the way that you would expect them to if this were the inflation. We still have tons of cash sitting in the bank. Uh, at the personal level, it's if, if we hadn't had the last year to measure against, this would be at like 50-year record levels of, of money in the bank. With the last year to measure against, it's less than what we had before. So what am I saying with all of this? You said it just a little while ago. We believe we're heading into a recession. We may already be in one. It's a technical thing to say whether it started at the beginning of the year or now or sometime next year. The reality is that we're in contraction. The, it's becoming too expensive to buy a house for a lot of people, so house sales are down. When we look at the leading indicators, nine out of 10 of them are down, and that 10th one is shaky. So when we look at all of that, we say, all right, so what are you doing in, in a recession? And something that I have been studying for years, you've been studying for years, the people that recover best coming out of any kind of economic downturn, period, are people that own profitable businesses, either directly or through stock ownership. That's just a truism. If you own profitable businesses, you come out of recessions and depressions better off than when you started. If you don't, if you panic because the world is going into a recession or a depression and you sell everything that you own, those are the people that historically do not do well coming out of depressions and recessions. So when I put it in this historical context and you say, well, of course people do better if they own profitable companies coming out of a recession. If they own profitable companies going into a recession, it works even better. 
But if we're already in the recession, it's really hard to go back and do that once, once you're in it. So what do you do? For preparation purposes, you make sure that you're planning for the fact that recessions happen. Don't be surprised when they do. This is a normal part of every economy that has ever existed. There's no such thing as an economy that doesn't have a recession. It just cannot exist. There's, people don't work on a nice linear slope of smooth graphing. That's just not how we work. You get a, a chunk of money from an inheritance and you start a business or you save up for years to buy a house. It doesn't happen on this, I bought one-tenth of a house this year so that I could own a house starting in 10 years. No, that's not how it works. There's some gradualness to it, but usually it happens in a lump. You buy your house on one day, even if you have a mortgage that you pay off over 30 years. So preparing for a recession should let you know that those lumps occur. Recessions are a lump on the negative side. Growth tends to occur in concentrated time periods as well. So how do you weather a recession? And man, I could clickbait this and say three things to do that everyone must do in a recession or even better, the best clickbait ever, three mistakes everyone make in a recession. Number one. No, no, no. <laughs> three, mis three mistakes made by beautiful young Hollywood actresses who weren't wearing any clothes. And then don't complete the sentence. Right. right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? Three mistakes that beautiful Hollywood naked Oh, I got to click it. See, what is that? Um, so what do you do in a recession? Um, hopefully, you've got reserves on hand. And when we look at the amount of reserves on hand in the United States, the bank account balances look really good. Credit card balances are low. That's pretty good. Uh, so this is a good sign about the severity of the recession. It's probably not going to be as bad as what a lot of people remember. And this is I said this last week, but it's something worth repeating. Traditionally, historically, we have a recession every four years. I know that seems like crazy talk because the last real recession we had, not counting that short blip of, of two months in 2020 with the pandemic lockdown, the last real one we had lasted almost two years and it's and it was called the Great Recession. So people think of recessions at this like massive scope of, oh my goodness, the world is literally about to completely change and never be the same again. Where the normal recessions that we need to continue to get back to are about cleaning out the deadwood in the, in the economic forest, getting them out of the way so the rest of the forest doesn't burn down. That's what we had in 2007 and 8 was a big forest fire. I don't know what to do with it. You can tell people what they should do in a recession or what they should do when they expect a recession. I think that's worth uh, continuing. Avoid selling securities, marketable securities during a recession. And if you have, if you have, I just, matter of fact, I just had a discussion with somebody about this. If you got extra money, and you have a really, really, really low mortgage, and any mortgage you've gotten in the past few years is really, really, really low historically. In a recession or in, in, in the threat of a recession, the first instinctive mood is to go pay down the mortgage. Well, first take a look at after-tax deduction, what your mortgage rate really is. And if it's down around 3% or below, 
the money is in essence free. Long-term inflation in the United States runs runs around 3% and it's probably going to continue to run around 3%. So basically, if you've got a 3% mortgage and there's 3% inflation, you're basically getting the money for free. On the other hand, take a look at the fact that the markets are low and things are in. The best time to buy is when things are low. Buy low and sell high works. Now, the other thing I need to say, and, and I think most people have already got this message, you do need to have plenty of cash reserve. You need to have a sufficient cash reserve to cover your needs coming down the road. It's really important to do that. Yeah. We say if you're looking at retirement anytime in the next five to 10 years, particularly, or if you're in retirement, you need to have 18 months of reserve so that you don't have to pull a minimum of 18 months of cash reserve someplace or, or near cash reserve. We call it dry powder. So that you don't have to pull money out of the stock market in a bear market because they happen. As Jake said, they happen every, well, I've noticed it historically every five years, but but the average may be four years. Um, we get bear markets every four to five years. And you just get used to the fact that if you are a long-term investor and you're looking at a 10-year time horizon on your investments, it's not to say you won't take income from them, but you're going to have probably two, maybe three bear markets in a 10-year period. It's just going to happen. And you just get used to the fact that you enjoy the market when it's going up and you use the gains in the market when it's going up. And when the market dips down into a bear market, you stop taking money out of the market and you take it out of your reserves. That is an excellent way to be a good investor over a long period of time. The other one is diversification. So important to be well diversified. And that doesn't mean having a whole bunch of one kind of stock, by the way, different companies in the same asset class. And that's my rant. For the yeah. day. I, and I'm in total agreement with that. Maintain reserves is what we say at the top and the bottom. Uh, what we say about selling is... is <laughs> What I was saying in January about it, hey, the market's doing great. It's a good time if you need to take a vacation to sell or to rebalance and update your reserves. We talked about that. So um, I wish those of you that are regretting it now had heard us then. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is a professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on, this in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. 
So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.